Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Are you ready to move your career forward? Make your comeback with Purdue Global and get college credit for your work, school, life, or military experiences. With these credits, you may have already completed up to 75% of your undergraduate degree. You've worked hard to get where you are. It's time to get the recognition you deserve and earn a degree you'll be proud of. One that employers will trust and respect. When you take the next step in your life and career, make it count with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at AvalonWaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. School of Humans. There are many unsolved mysteries circling the holy city of Rishikesh. Foreigners who vanish. Unforeseen spiritual awakenings. The healing powers of the Ganges, a river where both salvation and death flow. And the unexplainable energy that draws seekers who believe the Holy City is a fast track to enlightenment. One of those seekers was Russell, a Sri Lankan living in Melbourne who had his sights set on visiting Rishikesh. It's November 2018. Russell, a Sri Lankan living in Melbourne, is at the airport in Melbourne, waiting for his flight to board though he's eventually going to meet up with his family in Sri Lanka for his cousin's wedding. He's traveling light. Material things aren't important to Russell these days. He lives minimally and stopped buying stuff for the sake of buying it for a while now. But as he's gotten more dedicated to his spiritual journey, his family has noticed that he's detaching from the things that used to mean a lot to him. Like cricket. One day he gave his bats away and stopped playing a sport he used to love. Not long ago, he had a breakdown after he was scammed by a girlfriend. It left him financially ruined and tested his faith in humanity. He couldn't believe that someone he had loved, dated, and lived with for a handful of years could be so deceitful. After hitting this breaking point, Russell's family noticed his deeper commitment to spiritual growth. But Russell was born a seeker. Driven by curiosity and interested in human connection, he spent nine months in Peru with shamans, studied multiple religions, and experimented with ayahuasca. And though he was raised Catholic, he's drawn to Hinduism, which is why his sister Rosita is not surprised he's decided to take a quick detour to India before meeting up with his family at the wedding. Unlike Rosita, Russell isn't married and doesn't have kids, so he's thrown himself into self-discovery and his quest for the next level of spirituality. This is what drew Russell to Rishikesh, 
a seeker with one intention for traveling there. But that is what might have killed him. An announcement echoes through the airport. The flight to Dehradun, India is boarding. When Russell lands in Dehradun, he'll hop either a bus or taxi that will take him to his final destination, Rishikesh. As Russell steps into the line of passengers, he overhears someone talking about Vishisht Gufa, a cave carved into a steep cliff on the banks of the Ganges, an hour from Rishikesh. It's also known as the Jesus Cave, a name derived from lore that Jesus spent some of his lost years in India. The lost years refer to an 18-year period of Jesus' life, from ages 12 to 29, that are not documented in the New Testament. Various swamis, male Hindu spiritual teachers in India, claim that during these lost years, Jesus sought solitude in the cavern of Vishisht Gufa, and in the last century, two swamis with no knowledge of Jesus' connection to the cave said when visiting, they had visions of Jesus meditating there. Russell plans to visit the sacred cave and cleanse himself in the river Ganges, flowing through the center of Rishikesh. Ever since he's been practicing Hinduism, he's felt called to Mother Ganga. Like the Hindus, he believes she will wash away bad karma and evil spirits and provide a cleansing that will reawaken him. His phone vibrates. It's a WhatsApp message from his sister Rosita, checking in on him. He lets her know he's boarding and he'll text her when he lands. He shuts off his phone in preparation for the 13-hour flight, hands his ticket to the flight attendant who scans it, then enters the dimly lit jet bridge, boarding a plane that will take him to a city he'll never return from. Unlike Jonathan and Ryan's stories, which were publicized by the media, this is the first time Russell's story has ever been told. I try to go through the emails and it was just too hard, just emotionally. So I'll just tell you the story as how, how I recall it, because I have blocked some of it out. This is Rosita, Russell's older sister. She's asked that I not use their surnames to keep anonymity. This is a deeply personal story to Rosita, but she also has controversial views about Rishikesh and what happened to her brother there. So there is a security in remaining unknown. Rosita describes what Russell was seeking at that time. He was more interested in seeking for the next level of spirituality, basically not being born into a human form again, learning all the lessons you have to in this human form so you can move on to the next realm, move on to the next level. That's what I think Russell was doing. Rosita had a deep bond with her younger brother. I recognize this bond because I have it with my siblings. She's protective, devoted, and today, nearly two years after the loss of her brother, she's still heartbroken. As soon as he landed, he sent a message saying, hey, I arrived in Rishikesh, I'll see you guys in four days. This is the text Rosita had been waiting for from her brother. But when she didn't hear from Russell on November 29th, the night he was supposed to land in Sri Lanka, she started to worry. And when there was still no word, on the morning of November 30th, she called the front desk of his hotel to see if he had checked in. And I said, can you please put me through the room where Russell was staying? They put me on hold and they come back and said he never checked in. Straight away, I knew something was wrong. Her husband and cousins told her she was being paranoid. He must have just missed his flight. 
But when it was confirmed by the airline that Russell never boarded his flight to Sri Lanka, Rosita's older brother Trevor, who didn't attend the wedding and was still in Australia, went to the local police station to file a missing persons report and was directed to the Australian embassy in India. But the embassy wasn't exactly helpful. They kept dismissing Trevor, saying a lot of people, you know, decide to stay in India. They just decide to hang around and they decide not to contact family. And we're like, you don't understand. We don't do that. No matter where we go, we know exactly, you know, where our family members are. But Rosita didn't know where Russell was. So paperwork was filed with the Australian embassy in India. And on December 1st, Russell was declared a missing person. It was official which sent Rosita and her family down a rabbit hole of what-ifs. Did he get beaten up? Has he been robbed? Is he lying in the hospital? You know, all these horrible thoughts go through, and but there's always hope that he's alive. And there was a huge thought that went through our mind. Has he decided to go into an ashram? And only after he went missing, we started doing some research on Rishikesh, and then we just found out, oh, gosh. We did not know about Rishikesh, the background, how there's so many people gone missing and how people decide just to let go of everything and, you know, go into an ashram for 30 days or 60 days and just live this lifestyle. So that was the hope. This was 2018, so if Rosita googled Rishikesh, she'd obviously seen headlines for the disappearances of Ryan Chambers in 2005, and Jonathan Spallin in 2012. Her hope that Russell hadn't met the same fate, but would be found meditating in an ashram somewhere in Rishikesh was the preferable outcome. But what happened on December 15th, 14 days after Russell was declared missing, made for a bleaker reality. Trevor got an email from the embassies. Um, it stated that his suitcase and his belongings were found and they named the place and it was sort of, when we Googled it, it was sort of under this bridge. And, you know, horrible thoughts come in, like why under a bridge? You know, why his suitcase and why his belongings there? Where is he? And that particular night, Trevor called me and said, Rosita, it's 50-50. 50% he's alive, 50% he's gone. And I sort of like refused to believe it. I'm like, don't say that. But things got weirder. The embassy was able to track the SIM card that Russell purchased for his phone when he landed in India. They emailed the SIM card information to Russell's family, and there was only one thing left to do. Trevor found a friend who spoke Hindi, and they dialed. An Indian person answered the phone and said, I knew someone was going to call. I found his wallet and the phone, but I actually handed the wallet into the Australian embassy in India, but I kept the phone because I knew someone would call for him. A clue. Someone who might lead them to Russell. But when they contacted the embassy, no wallet had been turned in, which means there was no additional information about this unidentified source they had just spoken to. So they tried Russell's SIM number again. Second phone call was made to that same number, and the person picked up the phone again. And when the question was asked, where exactly did you find it, the person got very nervous and started hesitating to talk and was not comfortable at all to even answer where he found it. And then he hung up the phone and several other attempts were made to contact him, but that phone was switched off. Rosita sensed something was off. Either this guy was spooked and thought he might get into some sort of trouble speaking to them, 
or he had something to do with her brother's disappearance. Either way, it was another dead end, until Rosita and her husband got the call they had been waiting for. Trevor called my husband and said, I'm going to send you a link. I want you to have a look at it. I think I found Russell. Trevor had found Russell, but not in the way anyone, especially his family, could ever have imagined. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Like Ryan Chambers and Jonathan Spallen. Russell was another missing Westerner in Rishikesh until Rosita's husband, Sean, clicked on that link her brother Trevor sent. Sean had a look at the link, and sure enough, it was a picture of Russell's dead body on that website. The website is a database that's run by the Indian police called Unidentified Dead Bodies. It consists of close to 90,000 bodies. It's disturbing to look through. But for Rosita, the database gave her access to her brother. So even though her husband and older brother persuaded her not to, she knew in order to believe Russell was really gone, she had to identify her brother's dead body. He was just sort of lying on the ground. He's either washed up or pulled out. 
you could see he's bloated, you know. He was just wearing a white T-shirt, which looked turned into like a muddy colour, obviously from the dirty water, and it was in underpants. So for him to be in his underpants, that he was wearing a, a sarong, which he's, he does when he goes to ritual, you know, like spiritual retreats or if he goes to Sri Lanka. And I could definitely picture him in India just wearing underpants and a sarong and a T-shirt and his thongs or whatever, just walking around, you know. I don't know what you call it, but on his um, wrist, you know, in Hinduism or Buddhism, like they wear these cotton threads. It's spiritual. Um, so he had some of that, but that was all. In Southeast Asia, locals and many visiting Westerners, like Russell, wear sarongs, which is a fabric draped around the body and tucked at the waist or under the arms. The cotton thread or threads on his wrist could have been a katuk. Usually red, it's a ritual protection thread tied by a priest or guru on the wrist of a devotee. Russell's body was dragged from the Ganges on December 3, 2018, five days after he was supposed to fly to Sri Lanka. The Unidentified Dead Bodies database did not mention a cause of death, but before the family could even think of investigating, there was something they had to do first. My mom and I, we just said, oh my God, we need to bring him home. They found him on the 3rd of December, now we're on the 19th. Russell's body had most likely been in the Ganges for those five days he was missing, which is why he was bloated when he was pulled from the river. And for the past 17 days, his body had been sitting in a morgue in India. But his family wanted him home, so they could say their goodbyes properly with a Catholic funeral. When Trevor called the police station listed on Russell's profile to claim his body, they were in for another shock. Police told him that within three days of the body being found that they cremated Russell and threw the ashes into the Ganges River. And we were absolutely devastated, you know, because we're used to burying our dead. That's the way we say our goodbye. Now, this is just heartbreaking to imagine. They had found Russell's body, and all they wanted to do was bring him home and mourn him in the way they were accustomed to, with an open casket and burial. But he was cremated, and in a way, taken from them again. Additionally, because Russell's body had been cremated, there was no evidence to determine his cause of death until they received the coroner's report. So on the coroner's report, number one cause of death for Russell is death by drowning. Number two cause of death is blunt trauma to the head. Hearing about this blunt force trauma made Rosita think back to the first time she had seen Russell's picture on the database. Now, when I saw the picture of Russell, I could see this big bump on his forehead. Could be a possibility that someone hit him on the head and then he fell into the river or was pushed into the river. There are so many scenarios. But one scenario she wasn't expecting was how invested the Indian police suddenly were now that Russell's body had been identified on the database as an Australian citizen. She was also surprised by the new information they shared. Indian police sent an email saying that his suitcase and his passport was found in the hotel. Now... You don't have to be a genius to work out that, hold on, the stories that you guys are sending us is not matching up. First, you said when Russell was still missing, you said the suitcase and his belongings were found under a bridge. Well, no, now that Russell has been found on the internet, now you're saying his suitcase and his passport and belongings are in the hotel. 
And also there was another email um, stating that Russell was very aggressive and abusive towards the hotel staff. So this is the hotel in Rishikesh where Russell stayed and where police were now saying they had found his suitcase and belongings. And according to the police, it's also where Russell was publicly aggressive to hotel staff, which was captured on hotel cameras November 28th, two days before he was supposed to leave Rishikesh. So we requested for the video because now you, you know, now they're saying he was aggressive and abusive towards the hotel staff and the guests. So I wanted to see the video to see what's going on. My thing was, that's not Russell. If he was, then something's not right. The police never sent that footage to Rosita and her family. So you can imagine receiving this new, unsubstantiated information from the Indian police led to their suspicions towards not only the police, but institutions like the Australian Embassy in India that are supposed to advocate for their country's citizens and protect them. But I've also learned from this experience that the Australian Embassy in India have no power over what happens in India. This is something we followed up on. We'll get into that in a bit, but first, if Russell's aggression was out of character and his outburst at the hotel wasn't something fabricated by the police or embassy, then what happened? There is a huge possibility that Russell would have, whatever the drink, that the sadhus drink, you know, if there was an opportunity and it was presented to him, he could have, yeah, he would have taken it. This drink Rosita is talking about, that sadhus or holy men drink, is infused with bang, an intoxicant made from the leaves of the female cannabis plant. Bang is used by Hindus for spiritual purposes. They drink it to honor Shiva, the god of destruction, who is believed to have used the intoxicant to focus inward and harness his divine powers for the good of the world. Many Westerners who travel through India seek this extreme high that some say brings them closer to this elusive idea of enlightenment and can result in either a happy haze, paranoia, or just getting wrecked. Like one Westerner I read about, who after drinking bang was bound to his bed and toilet, viciously vomiting for three days straight. So it's pretty powerful stuff, which might explain Russell's behavior. Well, that makes sense. If he'd taken it, maybe then he would have had some sort of an episode and maybe that's why he was aggressive or abusive, if that email is correct. Rosita also has speculations about the sadhus who, in her opinion, tempt foreigners with these intoxicants. So having spoken to Indian-born Australians, you know, one person mentioned that it's common knowledge that there's a lot of sadhus that are not doing the right thing. You know, they're just scammers who encourage the Westerners. You know, they think they're better off moving on to the next journey of spiritualism, meaning leaving the, the body that, you know, we're in. Apparently, they encourage them to walk into the into the river. One person mentioned that it's common knowledge around Rishikesh for those people who live there that the Westerners come there to die. Like Rosita said, these theories were shared with her by Indian-born Australians. So... I don't know how much of this is true. It's just was told to me. We've dug into the veracity of these claims before and will again. But right now, I want to focus on the effect these stories had on Rosita. When considering what happened to Russell, a seeker who traveled to Rishikesh specifically for a spiritual awakening, 
but was then found drowned in the same river he came to cleanse himself in. You can see how, for Rosita, these theories could start to feel more like truth. There was one theory that haunted her, and it's not about how Russell died, but what happened to him after he was found. This was something she felt she needed to share with another Australian family, who had also experienced tragedy in Rishikesh. I don't know for what reason during that traumatic time that Ryan's, his name just came into my head. I just thought of him and I just thought of Diane Jock. She's speaking about Ryan Chambers, whose story we told in episode one and two, and whose disappearance she read about while researching Rishikesh after Russell went missing there. Though Ryan's family deny his seeking anything spiritual in India, Rosita recognized her brother's language in Ryan's last journal entry. If I'm not gone, don't worry, I'm not dead. I'm just freeing minds. And to do that, I had to free my own. Ryan went missing in 2005, and 10 years later, there's my brother who's, you know, in his 40s. He's saying the same words. So I thought that was quite interesting. Two people of two different generations, you know, two different backgrounds, talking the same language. This, and some dots she'd started to connect around what happened to her brother in India, compelled her to reach out to Ryan's parents, Jock and Diane. I wanted to reach out, but it took me a long time because, you know, I was very traumatized, like the whole thing. So when I finally did reach out, I wanted to tell them my story. And she did. That's how I met Rosita. I was introduced to her by Jock after our interview as someone else who had lost a loved one in Rishikesh. But what I didn't know is why she initially contacted Jock and Diane. You know, it was very hard for me to tell them, and obviously it's not very easy for them to hear it, but I did tell them, you know, I'm so sorry to tell you, but I, Ryan's, Ryan's gone. They would have done exactly what they would have done to Russell. They would have cremated his body, got rid of the ashes, because there's no evidence. Rosita believes that what happened to Russell most likely happened to Ryan. The only difference is, Russell's photo was taken and posted on the Unidentified Dead Bodies database. But Rosita thinks that was a mistake. He looked like a local where um, Sri Lankan born, so of course our skin color is dark, and we do look like Indians, you know, people would mistake us. There was nothing that anyone would think, oh, he's a Westerner or he's a foreigner, you know. And this is why Rosita believes Russell's body was posted onto the Unidentified Dead Bodies database, and other foreigners who blatantly stand out as Westerners are not featured on the site. I truly feel, this is just my opinion, that there is something going on there. We were just lucky that we found Russell's picture on the internet, and they made a mistake in uploading an Australian citizen onto that website. To my knowledge, I haven't looked at it. I asked my brother because I'm not willing to go on that website. There is no white people's dead bodies on that unidentified dead bodies in India website. I think it's just local Indians that they upload. So when, you know, they find the foreigner's body, they're not going to upload that onto that internet. I think they've done exactly what they've done to Russell. They've cremated the body, got rid of the evidence, so the person is missing. It's better to have missing people so that the foreigners still come to Rishikesh and spend their money and, you know, do their journey there than to have them all dead dead foreigners in Rishikesh. That's not good for business. This is an extreme theory. 
But if you consider the ordeal Rosita and her family went through with the Indian authorities, her reaction makes sense to me. I asked Ankita if she thought Rosita's reaction was justified and if others experienced this kind of mismanagement with authorities. Yes, it's not uncommon to be frustrated with administrative processes in India. It's quite common. So when I hear Rosita talk about how tough it was for her to get information about her brother from the authorities, it is not hard for me to imagine. Even the part about not admitting the truth for fear of bad press is relatable. Every now and then we see some journalistic report with solid facts and evidence that gets dismissed by the government because they say it is some sort of conspiracy to defame the country. So that obviously creates mistrust in Indians and foreigners alike about the integrity of these official procedures. So this helps explain some of law enforcement's mismanagement around Russell's case. But what about Rosita's contentious theory about what happens to missing foreigners in India? It's a question we've been investigating head on in this podcast. So this theory around a cover-up is one we need to examine, which we'll do after the break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful Beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. I want to examine Rosita's theory about some sort of cover-up around missing foreigners in India. So I'm bringing in my producing team, Gabby and Kita, who have been researching the topic and have their own thoughts. So just pulling up this Unidentified Dead Bodies database that Gabby's done a lot of research on. So Gabby, since you're familiar with the site, could you tell us a little bit about it? So yeah, the Unidentified Dead Bodies database was started in 2004, and it was started um, 
as a collaboration between police departments across the country. And it was mostly started as a something for like public interest. So yeah, it's about 29,000 pages total. And then there's about a, about 90,000 entries in the database. And I mean, the one thing that is kind of unhelpful about it is that more than half of the entries don't have photographs. I went through some of the latest entries in the database, and Gabby's right. There are quite a few without photos. But nearly every entry lists approximate age, sex, height, weight, complexion, face shape, what they're wearing, and any other identifiers on the body, like scars or tattoos. I'm looking at the latest entry in the database. It's listed just a few days ago. He's a 50-year-old male. They give him an ID number and the district that he was found in, which was Delhi. The crime was on a railway in that district. The image below that profile is, is harder to look at. The sex is stated as male, but his face is mangled, so it's hard to tell, and he's laying down in a pool of his own blood. Yeah, this is uh, hard to look at. So if we go to the next page, there's a man laying in some dirt and fallen leaves. He looks almost malnourished. His collarbones and wrist bones are sticking out, and his beard and eyes seem to be half open. The profile says he's around 35, and they identify his religion as Hindu. And Kita looked at this entry with me. It also says reward amount zero, uh, which is a little bit sad when I think of the reward amount that families of missing people put when they want their family members back. It's almost just as if a person is just a serial number and date and so on. And I mean, I understand that this is really important, but the process can also really dehumanize someone. It could be really a shock for any family member or a loved one to look at this picture. Looking at bodies like this becomes desensitizing, which is disturbing. I mean, I understand the purpose of the site, but skimming through it feels just wrong. But we're not looking at this database for no reason. So Rosita has a theory that foreigners' dead bodies, specifically white foreigners, are not listed on this database. And the only reason Russell was was because he was of Sri Lankan descent, and so he had a darker complexion and was mistaken for a local. So I don't know. I mean, what are your guys' thoughts on this? So yeah, I've gone through, I guess now at this point, I've done a, gone through about 200 pages of the database. And I think, you know, that assessment could be correct in that all of the entries that I've seen, either they have a very apparent complexion or their complexion is listed. And I haven't really seen as many lighter complexioned people. I did see one person who did have a lighter complexion and they identified this person with, uh, they had some tattoos in English, which I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean they are, you know, they aren't from like a Western country, you know, like Australia, US, England or whatever. And I mean, that doesn't necessarily like, I don't really know if there is a correlation between Rosita's theories and the fact that there aren't more white people showing up in the database. As Gabby said, a very small fraction of these entries is listed as having a light complexion. But it's hard to know for sure because of the status of the bodies. And while just through observation, we can't legitimately substantiate Rosita's theory that white foreigners aren't listed on this database, I think it's important to remember that the database features dead body entries from a country with a population of over 1 billion. So it makes sense that a majority of these entries are Indian. 
Ankita did some research about crimes against Westerners in India and found that in 2019, only 409 crimes against foreigners were reported. That's a relatively small number. Ankita, what are your thoughts on Rosita's theory and this idea that there's some sort of cover-up around dead foreigners in India? Yeah, I mean, I won't want to speculate without any kind of investigation into this, but because we live in India where we have experienced uh, corruption and we have experienced things where facts are hidden or action is not taken on time, so it feels like one cannot entirely rule out the possibility. And also we keep hearing about either if people come out and critique of something that is happening in society or at the government level, then the fact that it is dismissed as being anti-national. So these things do oh, create suspicion in you and stop you from completely trusting the organizations that have been put in place to take care of these things. Gabby, I know you've done more research around the Australian embassy and this idea of some sort of embassy cover-up. Do you think there's truth in that? Unclear. I reached out to the Australian embassy and never heard back from them. And I'm, of course, that wouldn't mean that they would have talked to me and be like, yes, we are involved in lots of cover-ups or anything. But there have been some other cases that are similar where there have been, you know, parents of foreigners who had died who were also frustrated with their embassies and with their with the police departments. If you are trying to like identify a cover-up, you do Google that. The thing that comes up first is that there was almost a proven substantiated cover-up that was going on in Goa. Goa is hundreds of miles away from Rishikesh and the other areas we've covered so far. It's by the coast in the southwestern part of the country. It's a vacation destination for foreigners who want to lounge on the beach by day and hit up the clubs at night. But since 2005, there have been 245 foreigner deaths that local police determined as natural. But over the years, parents of some of these tourists managed to get second autopsies, which reclassified the deaths as homicides. In 2008, 15-year-old British citizen Scarlett Keeling died in Goa. Her body was found in a pool of shallow water, bruised and semi-naked. Authorities said it was an accidental death, but the second autopsy found that she was sexually assaulted and had suffered more than 50 injuries. There was another case of 22-year-old Felix Dahl, and again, the police said it was an accidental death. But the second autopsy done in Dahl's home country of Finland revealed that there were fatal injuries inflicted to his skull from a high-impact weapon. Parents of 10 of the foreigners who were killed wrote a letter to India's Prime Minister Modi in 2017 to demand an unbiased and independent investigation into their children's deaths. The letter reads, The quality of the work of the police in Goa should be investigated. Instead of investigating the murders and killings, the local police want to cover up the truth. The investigation is needed to reveal the connections between the locals, the police in Goa, drug mafia and politicians, and their involvement in the deaths of tourists and locals in Goa. In one interview, Felix Dahl's mother said that all the facts provided by the police were imaginary, and followed that up by saying something similar to Rosita. She suspects these deaths were covered up so they don't affect tourism in the area. The cause of Russell's death is still unknown, 
but I'm grateful that Rosita shared his story because it's one that could potentially shed light on what happened to others who have gone missing in Rishikesh. Russell went to Rishikesh specifically seeking this next level of spirituality. And maybe he found what he was looking for. As a believer in the Hindu faith, Russell revered the sacred Ganges, where Hindus embrace death as death defines life. Her waters offering them hope that one day they will be liberated from an endless cycle of birth and death and attain nirvana. He was on a spiritual journey, so we believe that he, he did die in the Ganges. So with the spiritual journey that he's on, it's a very auspicious way to die. So it's a very good blessing to die in that river. So I think we have to take comfort in that, his beliefs and his journey. So yeah, I know that when it's my time, I will see him again. We've dug into many theories in this podcast, which happens when you investigate cases where people have gone missing. There are too many unknowns, which leads to even more speculations. But next week, we'll unfold the story of Charlie Marinelli, whose experience in India is similar to the others we've shared. But unlike Ryan, Jonathan, or Justin, Charlie's story is not swarming with theories. It provides answers. He pushed the edges in other ways in the past before and never went to this edge. I think he's in trouble because he was definitely looking at somebody in that dark room. Somebody was standing over him, watching him. Astray is a production of School of Humans and iHeartRadio. Today's episode of Astray, Russell and Rishikesh, was produced, written, and narrated by me, Caroline Slaughter. Ankita Anand is my co-producer, and Gabby Watts is our supervising producer. Special thanks to Rosita for telling Russell's story. Astray was sound produced by Toon Welders, with score and sound design by Jason Shannon, and mix by Harper Harris. Executive producers are Brandon Barr, Brian Lavin, and Elsie Crowley. Thanks for listening. humans. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80 live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. See new things. Try new things. Go back centuries while living in the moment. Forge new paths while discovering old ones. Pedal, paddle, and paint while trekking, tasting, and tailoring experiences that transform you into a better version of yourself. Immerse yourself in the world by activating your mind, your heart, and your body on a river cruise exclusively from Avalon Waterways. Save with limited time offers at avalonwaterways.com. Avalon is cruising. Elevated. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. 
From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.